We are the Cat's Whiskers, and this is my top line. Hello and welcome to another edition of My Top Line. My name is Jonathan Bullard and I'm delighted to say we've got another guest with us of a Panthers persuasion for this edition. He's been supporting the team a long time. A great pleasure to welcome Ian Braisby. Good evening, Jono. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. Before we start and and get into your team, uh, the usual chat about when you started watching the Panthers in your first game. So can you remember how far back was it? It was in 1980. Uh, I believe that my first game was the third game back for the Panthers in the modern era. Uh, It was a a game against the Southampton Vikings that finished in a three-all draw, which was quite a low score for those days. Didn't they beat the Vikings something like 31-2 that season or the season after? Yeah, I think it was the following year... And it's our biggest ever win, and I missed it uh, because I was at a Cub Scout Halloween party, believe it or not. <laughs> so how, how old were you when you first started going to watch the Panthers? I was seven. Seven years old. And and, old. and you went with family, I believe. Yes, I went with my two uncles who'd actually started going, I think, the very first game. And they asked my dad if he fancied coming down and bringing his young son along to give it a try so we said yeah okay why not and uh, here we still are my two uncles are still season ticket holders as am I my dad um, was a regular attender until he passed away in 2008 so yeah it's always been a big family thing at the hockey and of course now you sit right next to me along with your sister yep absolutely <laughs> okay well let's crack on and get straight into your team starting with your netminder so Ian who is your choice as starting netminder my choice as starting netminder is uh, number 31 Trevor Robbins Trevor Robbins 126 games in all competitions over three seasons for the Nottingham Panthers before moving to the London Knights he won two B&H Cups with the Panthers and he was never below a 90% save percentage. So Ian, why particularly Trevor Robbins? I think for probably for most Panthers fans who've been going a long time, this would be a question that would come down to either Robbins from a little way back or Kowalski from the more recent times. And it is a tough choice because they, you know, they were both great netminders. But for me, Robbins just has that edge. Partly on ability, maybe, but but not just on that. I think partly because he was the first netminder of that standard that we'd ever seen in our shirts. You know, he played at the time when the old Heineken League ended and the Super League began, and the whole standard went up a huge amount, and that was particularly noticeable in the netmining. So he was on a level like we'd never seen before, uh, and that was a big thing, I think. It was at a time when I was probably at the height of being a fan in terms of it was before I was married and had a mortgage and that kind of thing. So I was able to get to a lot of away games. And and so I really had more of an affinity, I think, with some of the players from that time. Yeah, You say there about how the difference in net minding 
going from the British League to the Super League era, but it really was a huge step change. And Robbins came in, he got a shutout in his first game, I think it was against Basingstoke, and he just showed what a difference it made having a quality import netminder. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. I was working on the continent and I missed the first few games of that season. So I went down not knowing really what to expect. And then all of a sudden, to, you know, I'd heard little things, but to see this uh, amazing standard of hockey, but this amazing standard of netminding, you know, Trevor's agility, his speed, the speed of his glove hand, particularly his catching glove, was just on a on a plane that we'd we'd never even dreamt of having in our in our net really. So, you know, he quickly became quite a hero, I think, to all of the fans. Yeah, he was just one of my favourite players at that time. And what he brought to the team in terms of his ability to play in the big games, to win a game single handedly, it was exactly what you wanted from your netminder really. And of course, as with most netminders, but particularly Trevor Robbins at that time, a very intense character, especially on game day. Absolutely, that's what we heard. I mean, we'd heard a rumour that um, his wife used to throw him out of the house on game day because she just couldn't bear to have him around the place because he was in the zone from the moment he got up. And, uh, you know, we thought, oh, yeah, it's probably just a joke that somebody's having. But I did once see him um, on the day of a game. I went down to the stadium to pick up a ticket or something. And as I was leaving the stadium, he was coming in. Uh, and I just sort of said, all right, Trevor, completely blank. No even acknowledgement that somebody had spoken to him. He was just in the zone. He was in his own world. And, yeah, I guess he stayed like that until the final hoot had gone. Yeah, I remember seeing him in a training session that uh, we'd been invited down to when he was at the Panthers, and every time a puck went past him, there was a, an expletive that escaped from his mouth. He, and <laughs> and this was in training, so you, you can only imagine what what he must have been like during games. Yeah, and it was so strange because on other occasions, if you ever met him, he was a a really laid back and really friendly guy, you know, and you you couldn't quite put that together with this intensity that he brought to the games and as you say even the training he had that passion that intensity he was also pretty feisty as well um at times we had a few uh, fraught games when trevor played for us and uh, he was certainly not a netminder where you wanted to go hanging around his crease for very long uh, i do remember he almost got in, into a couple of altercations he stopped himself but I, th- I do remember him skating towards his blue line and fiddling with his helmet as if he, he wanted to have a fight but it never really happened and he was one of those netminders that if you thought if there ever was going to be a goalie fight he was going to be involved in it yeah I, I think that's very true um, the bench clearance that took place while he was playing for us he him and the other goalie just kind of got together, but they, they didn't really fight. They just kind of, um, yeah, held on to each other, had a little bit of pushing and shoving. He was on a 4-0 shutout in, away in Sheffield at the time, and he did go on to become the first netminder to shut them out on home ice in that match. So maybe that was on his mind. He didn't want to uh, get thrown out of the game when he was on such a milestone. So maybe that was there as well. And of course, first netminder to get a shutout at the Sheffield Arena seems a, a great high point to leave Trevor Robbins and move on to your first defenceman. So, Ian, who's defenceman number one? Defenceman number one for me is number nine, Terry Kirtenbach. 
uh, and I've put him on my list with a C after his name as well, because for most of his time with the Panthers, he was the, the team captain. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what I've, I've put him down as. Yes, six seasons he was captain in Nottingham of the seven seasons that he played. 356 games, 290 goals, 432 assists for 722 points, all from defence. So, Ian, why particularly Terry Kernback? This was one of my easier choices for my first D-man. Of course, it's very hard to compare in any sport between eras, especially in hockey, in British hockey, where... The standards back in the 80s when Terry came over was so different to the standards today. It was a three-and-bought game. Most of the players were British and amateur. Um, So, you know, you can't compare him in terms of quality maybe to the players today. But he was a perfect import defenceman for his time. And I think he was probably the first import defenceman that the Panthers had who was up there among the best in the league. He played a big role from when he came in. He was part of... Dampier's revolution, if you like, when Alex Dampier came down to Nottingham to become our coach, one of his jobs was to solidify the side. And a big part of that was getting Curtin back in to marshal the defence and to be the defensive leader. And that was a role that he played for, for a long, long time for us. Because he, he was a choice that one of our, our other recent guests, Paul Barm, had. And we was talking about the fact that some games he, he would play the entire 60 minutes. And that was quite normal back then in the British League with, when you only had the three imports. Yeah, the imports, especially the defensive import. The standard at that time was two import forwards, one import D-man. So your import D-man would lug a lot of ice time, you know, over 50 minutes in most games. You'd find that most of them would maybe, if it wasn't a one-goal game, they might take a a silly tripping penalty in the third period just to uh, maybe get a couple of minutes breather or something like that. Um, But yeah, his ice time was huge and um, that was a one of the other things I think that made him such a popular figure in Nottingham because he just did play so much of the games. I mean, one of the other things that that I've seen about him and when I've watched old videos, I I didn't see too much of him back then as I I wasn't really a regular at the Ice Stadium, but I've watched a few videos since and his transition, the way he just used to go through the centre of the ice with the puck and and often score, it, it was an absolute joy to watch. Oh, yeah, it was one of the biggest parts of his game. Uh, He wasn't a big guy. He wasn't especially physical. So his game was all about reading the play, the positioning and picking up the interceptions and then the transition to to the offensive end of the ice. So he would, as you say, carry the puck. He was a really smooth skater, good stick handler, and he would carry the puck up the ice and that could result in a chance. What he also was very good at was... Jumping up into the play, he scored a lot of his goals actually from from doing that, almost from coming late into the attack and uh, sneaking in unnoticed and coming up with the finish. I do remember when he came back after he left the Panthers, he went to Romford for a season before finishing his career in Guildford. But he came back with Romford for a B and H Cup game, I think it was, and I remember that the applause uh, just wouldn't die down when he was called from the red line to the blue line. No, I I remember that as well. And I think it's partly in respect of what he did for the club as a player, as a captain. 
what he contributed to the club in terms of bringing on the players who were playing alongside him. You know, that's the time when the Panthers were really bringing through a lot of young guys out of their junior development. So the likes of Jason Martin, Simon Hunt, Simon Perkins, you know, these kind of players, Duncan King, I think, towards the end of Terry's time. And so they were getting an awful lot of benefit from playing alongside him. And everybody recognised that. And there was also a little bit of a sour taste to the way that Kirtenbach left the club. The club released him in the summer unexpectedly, I think, and brought in Andre, Andre, Andre Mello. And uh, that was something that didn't really go down too well with the, the Panthers faithful. And I think that's another part of the reason why he got such a great reception when he came back. And a question I'll ask you that I also put to Paul when he was doing his My Top Line. Do you feel that his number nine should have been retired? Yes, 100%. Fair enough. OK, you, you will leave Terry Curtin back there and move on to your favourite game. So, Ian, what is the favourite game you've seen in the entire time that you've been watching the Nottingham Panthers? Just one or two to choose from, but uh, I've gone for the Benson and Hedges Cup semi-final second leg. It's against Manchester Storm at the Nottingham Ice Stadium in 1998. 12th of November 1998, a famous game that was live on Sky Panthers, 3-2 down from the first leg in Manchester and came away with a famous 3-1 victory to win the game 5-4 on aggregate. That put them in the Benson Hedges Cup final against Yes, Scottish Eagles, which they went on to win. So, Ian, why particularly that game? I don't think anyone who was there that night will forget the game, and that includes the players who were wearing Storm shirts that night. And me, um, because I won the 50-50 that night. <laughs> well, that's another good reason to remember, even more reason to remember it. Um, it was the whole thing of the game. It was a big game. We had a first-leg deficit, and it was a titanic effort by a depleted Panthers. We had an injury crisis. We had Corey Bullio that got banned after the first game. So we were really down to bare bones. We probably had about 10 fit players. There were others I playing I think injured. we had 13 skaters. We had 13 which skaters. In, which included Simon Hunt. And I don't think Hunty got a shift or he maybe only got one or two that entire game. Yeah, he had a broken hand, I think. <laughs> Something like that. So it was a real backs-to-the-wall effort. And you have to remember that we had a very good squad then, one of the best we've ever assembled, I think. And Manchester Storm were a team that was put together to win the ISL. It was a very expensive roster that they put together. They brought in um, a proper NHL pro coach in uh, NHL, sorry, North American AHL coach in uh, Klein and Dorst, they were a big team and they were expected to beat us, especially as we were so short-handed. And it was our backs-to-the-wall performance, the heroic efforts that some of the Panthers players put in. But it was also the atmosphere in the old stadium that night and that was one of the most important things for me. That's what sets this apart from some of the other big games, some of the other games that I could have chosen for in this category, really. You mentioned the atmosphere there, and I, I watched a clip that has found its way to YouTube, which is a Trevor Robin save. And it's the only one I can find on YouTube of that game. But the atmosphere comes through. And this is a video that's taken of a video on a television. 
and even on that, the atmosphere is, is coming through on a, on a YouTube video. And I, I was there that that night, and you're right, it was just amazing. And it, from start to finish as well, it never let up at any point, even when Manchester went 1-0 ahead. No, that's right. I drove up from work in Birmingham, and I, I got changed in the street outside my sister's house when I went to pick her up, and we got to the game just before it started. So we were coming through the corridor when the teams were already out on the ice, so you could hear the atmosphere, but... I can't explain it, but you could literally feel the atmosphere. The The air was crackling as you walked along the corridor under the stands there at the old stadium. And then as you walked up those steps, it just hit you. And it was a, it was a physical thing. It was the best atmosphere I heard, even in that old stadium. And I think it was the perfect example of a team and its fans being one unit. And yeah. Manchester had no answer to it, really. Yeah, and when that goal went in, if we, I think we all, re- all remember Jamie Leach jumping into the air to avoid Mike Bishop's slap shot and then Jarek Zakuski tipping it in and, and we were through. Yeah, it was a fantastic moment and it was just, you know, in a way it's it's not the best game. I've seen probably dozens of better games in terms of the quality of play because the Panthers simply just couldn't go out and play an expansive, entertaining game because of the circumstances, the short bench and the importance of it. But for intensity and desire and for that release that came when the crucial goal went in, uh, I don't think any of us will ever experience an atmosphere quite like that again. Mm. And of course, we'll always remember Storm Netminder Peter Angelo continually looking over his shoulder at the old clock in the scoreboard, just willing the time to go down. Yeah, it was an incredible thing to see. He was skating at every stoppage. He was skating out of his net and looking how long was left. You could see, we sat opposite the away bench and you could see the the faces of the, of the Storm players on the bench and you could see that they just didn't really know what had hit them in terms of the atmosphere and, and what they'd come up against that night. And of course, this was a team that regularly used to play in front of crowds of between ten and twelve thousand at that time. That it even grew even further throughout that season. So for them to experience that in, in, from three thousand people, albeit in a much smaller stadium, you could tell that they weren't really used to it. No, I think the atmosphere in the uh, MEN Arena at that time was totally different. It was um, big arena atmosphere. And even when they had a big crowd in it, it wasn't a crowd of people who had been watching the game for a long time and had been with their team for a long time. A lot of the people were quite new to the sport because it was a new team still. You know, the Storm were only in their third or fourth season by then. So it was a very different kind of atmosphere to what they were used to at home. Okay, we'll leave that game there and move into your second defenceman who played in that game. So... Ian, who is defenceman number two? Defenceman number two, number four, Mike Bishop. Mike Bishop, three seasons with the Panthers, which saw him win two B&H Cups, 164 appearances, 26 goals, 38 assists for 64 points in total. So why particularly Mike Bishop? Second D-man was a tough choice, I have to admit. My favourite players, especially when I was younger, were mainly forwards or Trevor Robbins. Um, But there were a few contenders, a couple of them who played at the same time as Bishop, actually. But for me, 
Bishop, over his three seasons with the Panthers, he did everything you could possibly want from a defenceman. Uh, he was strong at both ends of the ice. He didn't take any prisoners when necessary. He could go out there in absolutely any situation and you'd be confident that he'd do the job and he would pop up with the occasional big goal as well. Something I always remember about Bishop scoring the odd big big goal, but when I was putting his stats together for this earlier today, I was surprised to see that he only scored 26 goals over his three seasons. I thought he was actually much more than that. Yeah, I was surprised too when I when I looked back at that. I, I thought, well, I, I, uh, maybe other than those big ones, that was why they were so uh, unusual because they were rare as well. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he, he certainly did come up with the big ones though. His unique selling point was how good he was as a stay-at-home defenceman. He really marshaled the defence well. Yeah, he was, as I said, everything you really want from a defenceman. He was very tall and rangy. He had a long reach, so he was great at blocking the shooting lanes, forcing the forwards into corners and clearing the front of the net. He was a big, strong guy. And, uh, you know, anybody trying to get in front of Trevor Robbins, they had to... uh, contend with the fact that Mike Bishop was trying to move them out of the way and uh, not many of them managed to stay there. Um, so, yeah, he had all the attributes that you need to be a stay-at-home D-man and I think he was one of the best in that particular role that we've had. Well, as I seem to remember when he signed, there was quite a bit of excitement about him. He'd come from the Humberside Hawks, who he'd had three very good seasons with there. Uh, and along with Derek Laxdall, who was another top player from the Hawks. So he actually came and, and there was probably a bit of pressure on him to perform, considering he came with a, with a decent reputation. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, it's always harder, I think, for a player when they're a known quantity because people do have those expectations, you know, especially before the days of the internet and everything being on YouTube, you know, you could sign a player from North America and you could just look what his stats were and that was pretty much it. Um, but coming from another team, yeah, there was that pressure on him. But he he settled very quickly. We won the Benson Hedges Cup in his first season. So, you know, very early in his first season, he was picking up, helping the club to get silverware, uh, as was Laxdal, who scored a hat-trick in the semi-final in that run. So, um yeah, they, they came in and did, and did a good job. And, and Bishop, throughout his three years, he was very, very consistent. And that's another thing you need in a stay-at-home D-man. OK, we'll leave your defence there. So your two defencemen are Terry Curtinback and Mike Bishop, who joins netminder Trevor Robbins. Before we go on to the forwards, we'll move on to the player you would have liked to have seen in the black and gold uh, but never played for the team. So, Ian, who is your choice? Well, the player I would have wanted to see in the black and gold from another team is Tony Hand. Tony Hand, the first British trained player to be drafted in the NHL. 1986, round 12, 252 overall by the Edmonton Oilers. But he came back from North America pretty swiftly, had an excellent career with Murrayfield, Sheffield, Air Scottish Eagles, Dundee, Edinburgh again, Belfast and finishing at the Manchester Phoenix. Tony Handy's is synonymous with British ice hockey, an absolute legend, the highest British point scorer in the game. So... I suppose it's easy to see why you would choose him and why you would have wanted him to play for your team. 
100%. I've enjoyed watching lots of players over the years. But the most important thing, I think, about Tony Hand is that he's British. Because especially back in the days of three imports, but even still today in the EIHL, if you have got a British player or more than one British player who can match or even exceed the standard of your imports, then it puts you in such a strong position. And Tony Hand is the, the best example there's been of that, I think, outscoring the imports, not just in his own team, but throughout the league, year on year on year. Did I like him? Well, I was absolutely terrified every time he got the puck when he was playing against the Panthers because you always feel there's a, a goal against happening sometime pretty soon. Um, but um, looking at him play in games I've watched as a neutral and games I've watched back, his skill, his stick handling, his vision, his all-round offensive game particularly, it's just on another level to anything that was around at that time. And I remember... Well, back in the the old Super League when he was playing for Sheffield and Air, and then in the Elite League with Belfast and Edinburgh and then Manchester, I remember a lot of fans saying, "Well, he'll tail off as he gets older," but he never seemed to. He always seemed to be top of the top point scoring charts. Yeah, he stayed very fit. He, he was very professional. He adapted his game as the standards improve, because, you know, when you're playing in a fully pro league with some of the guys that were coming into the ISL particularly, you can't go coast to coast on every shift like you maybe could in the uh, earlier days of the Heineken League. Yeah, he, he kept himself right up there. He kept his standards very high. It's testament to him, really. And, of course, he very nearly did play for the Panthers later in his career. I remember Corey Nielsen tried to get him on a two-way from Manchester, his shirt had been made up for him, but it, but it never came off. So we did almost get him to see see him play for the Panthers. Oh, I've been teased with that many times, Jono. When Dampier came to Nottingham, there was always every summer, well, Tony Hand and or Chris Kelland are going to come down and play for us to join their old coach. And obviously Kelland eventually did, but uh, but Hand never did. And it, it looks like Nielsen didn't quite manage to snuffle him either. But uh, it's a shame. It's a shame, of course. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, we're going to leave Tony Hand there and move on to your forward line. So, Ian, who's forward number one? Forward number one, number 11, Jim Keyes. Uh, Jim Keyes, two seasons with the Panthers in 85, 86 and 86, 87. 92 games for an incredible 165 goals, 155 assists for 320 points and won the autumn cup in 1986 with the team so i know from talking to you over many years that jimmy keys is one of your all-time hockey heroes so is that the reason why he is the number one forward on your side he was the first name on my list when i was making my list and uh i told my sister today that i was going to be recording this tonight and uh she said oh have you picked Jimmy Keys five times? <laughs> he was the one name she, she absolutely knew 100% I would have picked. He's my favourite ever Panther. Um, that's always who I say when someone asks me that question. And I believe you did get to meet him. Was it Randall Webber's testimonial? I did, yes. I got to meet him there. I had a photograph taken with him. Um, and that was very uh, strange in a way because, you know, he'd been my 
childhood hero. He signed for us when I was 12. So he was with us in the years when I was 12 to 14. It's a very impressionable age. He, he was literally my, my childhood and early teenage hero. So to then get to meet him when I was a an adult, uh, to have a photograph taken with him, without any shame at all, say there were a couple of tears in my eyes on that evening, definitely. Of course, he, he played in an era when imports were expected to put up huge numbers. And he certainly did. Just 92 games, but 165 goals in those 92 games. Adding another 155 assists. And he's scoring in the region of three and a half points a game. But that was sort of expected by your imports back then. Yes, it was. And I think one of the reasons that Keyes and later Curtinback and, and other imports of that time were so popular, they were really the first ones that came to the Panthers who actually did it. So that was what helped to turn us under Dampier from also Rams into genuine contenders. So bringing in people like curtain back on defence and Keyes, Polini, Crapper up front, it really brought the team to a different level. And Keyes was a player who scored all these points, but his other stat is 379 penalty minutes. So that tells you also a little bit about what kind of a player he was, because he wasn't just a goal scorer. No, he, he liked a bit of the rough stuff, didn't he? <laughs> He's the kind of player I've always loved. And probably the kind of player that if you're a fan of another team, you probably hated. You know, he was a small guy. He was gritty. He's full of energy and agitator. He'd take on anyone regardless if they were a foot taller than him. You know, that's the kind of player he was. And you add that in with the, the point scoring, it, it kind of shows you what kind of a player he was. But also the burden that was on the shoulders of the, your three imports, as, as you mentioned, um, I think that's reflected in the fact they really did have to do a bit of everything. What was it particularly about him that stood out to you, not only at the time, but for now, choose him as part of, of the number one forward pick on your team? What was particularly special about him? He's kind of player that I, I love the most in hockey. Um, one of the things that all of the players on my list and all the players I've really loved over the years, they share, no matter what style of play they are, is that they give 100% of what they've got every time they go on the ice. And that was something that Keyes epitomised. He was not going to take anything lying down. He was going to drag the, the rest of the team with him. He was going to be a leader. He was going to be a winner. He was not going to let teams take liberties with the Panthers as they had in previous seasons. He just seemed to be almost a, a representation of how you as a fan felt about the team when he was out there playing. And you can't ask for any more than that. And for a young 12 to 14 year old lad, seeing someone there out, out there in your team's shirt playing that way and putting that heart and soul into it, it, it just made a huge impact on me. Okay, well, we're going to move on to your second forward. Uh, so, Ian, who's forward number two? Forward number two and wearing number nine because Curtin Back's shirt wasn't retired is David Alexandra Beauregard. 
David Alexandra Beauregard, three seasons with the Panthers that saw him win three playoff titles, three Challenge Cups and one league title. And of course he scored two game-winning goals in playoff finals. 147 games, 84 goals, 81 assists for 165 points. Now, Ian, why David Alexandra Beauregard? Okay, well, I've talked about Jimmy Keyes and how he was a a big hero to me as a child. And by the time we signed Beauregard, I kind of thought that I was too old for that sort of thing. I was in my late 30s. I was married. I had my own business. And so, you know, I kind of thought I'm too old to have heroes. But Beauregard proved that wasn't the case. And uh, watching him play... I felt the same kind of things that I'd felt about watching Jimmy Keyes play all those years before, even though he was a a very different kind of player in many ways. But it made me feel like a teenager again and having that um, excitement about watching a player and uh, watching a player out there performing for your team. And, And that was why he was so important to me, really. And of course, we all know that he'd lost the sight in his eye after a an incident in a game in his junior career where he was breaking away and got a stick in the face, but still carried on and scored the goal. And that really said it all about him, didn't it? It did, 100%. And his backstory was one of the other things that I really uh, liked about him. Um, I had some trouble with my eyes a few years before we signed him, had to have surgery in my eyes and was told that if it didn't go well or I didn't have it, I'd probably be blind within 15 years. So that kind of having thought about loss of sight myself to then sign a player with that kind of backstory, but for him to have come through that and built his career and to be this effervescent, enthusiastic guy that he was and playing the with the passion that he did, it, it kind of was a bit of an inspiration as well to, to get through the, the challenges that you face in your own life. It's kind of a, a role model, if you like. Yeah, and of course, a, a complete hero in Nottingham. Two game-winning goals in playoff finals. It, it, it's good enough scoring one, but then to do exactly the same a year later, it just showed what a big game player he was. Yeah, he was a, a player that you could put out there in any situation. And particularly his game-winner in the second of those two playoff finals, it was a real poacher's goal. And he was probably the only player on the ice that day who could have scored that goal and probably maybe one of the only players in the league who could have scored that goal at that moment Uh, and it really summed him up. And of course he he had a season in the Elite League prior to coming to Nottingham, he played in Manchester but then went to Italy the season after and there was a lot of rumours about him coming to Nottingham after he'd been at, at Manchester but it didn't happen. So there was a lot of disappointment, I think, within the fan base when when it was revealed that he wasn't going to play for Panthers that season. But then, when he came the season after, there was an awful lot of excitement about him actually coming to play in the black and gold. Definitely, because you know we'd seen him scoring goals for Manchester when we played against them. Um, we'd also, um, you know, seen his exploits in terms of the numbers he was putting up. So when you've got that kind of player rumoured to be coming to you, and then he does as well. Yeah, there's excitement. I guess that also puts uh, 
pressure on the guy. But but you know, I don't think Beauregard really felt ever any pressure because that was why he was able to come up big in those in those moments because he wasn't feeling the pressure. He was just playing. I'll ask you a question and might be quite difficult to answer, but do you think he's probably the best sniper that we've ever had at the club? Yeah, I think so. I can't think of a, a better one. You know, I try to think of, of someone who could score goals consistently, different kinds of goals, and to come up with those goals that you know that nobody else would have got into the space they wouldn't have made the space for themselves to, and they wouldn't have been able to come up with the, the finish um, I can't think of a better sniper for the for the Panthers than Beauregard now OK we leave David Alexandra Beauregard there and we'll get you to reveal your favourite goal in all your time watching the Panthers so Ian which is your favourite goal? Well it's a, a trophy winning goal but it's not Beauregard it's uh, much earlier than that it's a uh, Leighton Eretz uh, overtime game winner. It's against Five Flyers in 1986 at the NEC in the Norwich Union Cup final. Yeah, 15th of November 1986 with 61.53 on the clock, just 1.53 into overtime. Leighton Eretz comes up with the overtime winner to give Panthers their first trophy of the modern era. So, Ian, I think it's pretty obvious why you've chosen this goal but you explain it to us well I think firstly that is the spot on it was the first ever cup final in the modern era and for that goal to be scored by one of the players who had originally brought the Panthers back in 1980 you know Eric was one of the original modern era Panthers it was also the first time we'd ever seen overtime games back then didn't have overtime and we'd never seen it in any of the matches. It was our first big game. And so, you know, nobody really knew what to expect when the game finished tied. And for it only to last one minute 53 before one of the teams scored was, it was just incredible. The whole day was amazing, really. You know, I remember as an almost 14-year-old then watching it on grandstand with my family. And we all went mad when the goal went in. But of course, just a couple of minutes before that, at the start of overtime, Fife had hit the post. It was nearly all over straight away. It was incredible. Um, we lined up for overtime thinking, what's going to happen? The puck broke loose from uh, the opening face-off of the overtime. Fife's out Sims um, took a big shot. It flew past Brian Cox and it hit the post. You could hear the clang right up in the stands. Uh, the play was actually whistled up offside, but you can imagine that happening in overtime, how nervous we were if we weren't already nervous enough. But really, in our first proper attack, we we scored what was actually a pretty soft goal, um, considering how well Fife's netminder Andy Donald had played throughout the uh, 61 minutes up to that point. You know, he, he gave up a very soft rebound that Leighton Eric tucked away. So in, it was a scruffy goal, but it's not the quality of the goal. It's what the goal meant, bringing that first trophy to Nottingham after the club had restarted. The first time I'd ever seen my team win anything, it was, it was just unbelievable. Apparently, the atmosphere in the castle later that night when the team bought the trophy in was great, but I was, I was far too young for that. I've heard stories about that. Minute. And, of course, you were at the NEC that day. Yes, I was there. Yeah. So what was it like in, in the stands when that goal went in? It was mayhem. I think there was a second or so when nobody could quite believe it. The 
the light went on and um, the players kind of started to celebrate, but the fans kind of had almost a second. And then it, the realisation hit them that we've scored, we've won this trophy. And nobody quite knew what to do. People were obviously cheering. They were leaping around. I I probably, for one of the only times in my life, hugged my uncles who I, who I went with. And um, it was just a, an amazing moment. I, it's such a long time ago. I can't really remember a lot of details. I, I But I do remember that second of disbelief and then the just explosion of, of joy in, in the stands. Yeah, great story. And, of course... An important goal as it allowed Panthers to win their first trophy of the modern era. Many more have followed since then. And a lot of them won by your third forward. So, Ian, who is forward number three? Forward number three, number five, David Clark. David Clark, 14 seasons in Nottingham. With just one away in the Elite League era to try his hand in Italy. Multiple trophies won. Over 799 games in all competitions, 393 goals, 384 assists for 777 points. So, David Clark is nothing short of a Nottingham Panthers legend, but Ian, why does he make your team? He makes my team for a couple of reasons. One, for those reasons you've just mentioned, his point scoring, his success as a player and as a captain for the club, the amount of silverware he's won but that's not all because Clark was a player who I developed my liking for over the years when he started off we knew he was a good goal scorer but I along with a lot of other people perhaps felt that his game was a little bit one-dimensional don't get me wrong if you're going to be a one-trick pony in hockey scoring big goals is not a bad trick but I think over the years Clarky really developed his all-round game he worked hard and uh, his game visibly improved and he became much more of an all-round player and a leader on our roster. And that was why I appreciated him so much because he put so much effort and dedication into being the best player he could for the Panthers. It was many, many seasons of success. You've got to pay a tribute to Corey Nielsen for bringing his game on as well. Well, I think when you think about that era of all the success we had, David Clark and Corey Nielsen are the two kind of pillars of it in many ways. Nielsen as a, a player and then a coach, and Clark as one of our best on-ice players and captain for some of it. But always, even when he wasn't captain, he was a player who enjoyed a lot of respect from everybody else. So those two guys are really the two that you just associate straight away with that era, yeah. And of course, he was hugely important to the Panthers roster for not only the goals he scored and the quality player that he was, but an import quality player. Well, that's exactly right. And it goes back to when we were talking about Tony Hand, really. Having a British player who could consistently score 30-plus goals a season in the Elite League, you know, that is just something you don't find. And Clark did that year after year. He was outscoring imports. I think there were only seasons where we had people like the Beauregards and the David Lings where he was actually getting outscored by imports on the roster. Yeah, he was a player of huge value to the Panthers. Of course, his number five shirt now hangs in the rafters. Fair enough, you feel? 
Oh, 100%. Yes, no question about that. I I think for, for what he contributed to the club and the great success we had during his time, I don't think there's there's any question that that's thoroughly deserved. OK, so David Clark completes your team, which is netminder Trevor Robbins. In defence, Terry Curtinback and Mike Bishop. And then the forwards, Jimmy Keys, David Alexandra Beauregard, and finally David Clark. Uh, quite a formidable team there, Ian. Yeah, I think it would be uh, an interesting team to see play. I think Jimmy Keyes would probably have to do quite a lot of grinding on that line, but uh, he'd certainly be able to come up with a few assists, I would have thought, playing with Beauregard and Clark. <laughs> Definitely. Of course, as we always ask, there the must have been some players who you certainly considered for your lineup. who we ask as honourable mentions. So, Ian, who were the honourable mentions who almost made it into your lineup? Okay, well, one one who almost made it in, um, I would say, would, would be Mike Blaisdell, better known as a coach for the Panthers. He Still could play a great a bit. player. Mm, I remember a hat trick in the BNH Cup final in '94 oh. against Cardiff. Right at the end of his career, Blazer could still play. And I remember even before he came to us, when he was with Durham, I watched him play and I thought, it's not fair that they got to have an input like that good on their lineup. <laughs> and who else uh, makes that list? Uh, Ross Lambert is a player that I greatly enjoyed watching. Again, a little bit in the Jimmy Keys mould. Very, very similar in terms of build, his style of play. Probably not as good a goal scorer as Keys, but certainly his all-round game. Anyone in the defensive region? Yes, uh, Doc Durdle came very close. I, I came very close to linking him up with his old defensive partner, Curtin, back again because... Durdle and Curtin back in the year we won our first playoff title. That two-import axis at, um, at the back was a revolution that Dampier brought in. And, you know, Durdle was an amazing offensive defenceman. He scored close to 200 points from defence that season. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous numbers. Um, so, you know, he was he was very close. But overall, the player who came closest to getting on my final team was Paul Aidy. Yeah, Paul Aidy, and he's sort of a, a player who, who, when you ask Panthers fans for, who've been going for a certain length of time, you would think that Paul Aidy would almost certainly make their lineup, but he's just missed out on yours. So, so what was it that put the likes of David Clark, Jimmy Keeves, and David Alexandra Beauregard over Paul Aidy? Well, it's certainly not his ability because Paul Aidy was in my opinion, one of the best players and the most consistently high-quality players to put on a Panthers shirt. I tend to pick on how players have made me feel, How I, especially in the forwards. It's about how I felt watching those players, whether they've really excited me. And Aidy was that kind of player, but I think um, we took Aidy for granted a little bit. When he first came in, he was everybody's favourite player and we loved him, but after a couple of years, he was so consistently good that I, I think we just maybe took him for granted a little bit and other players came in who were new and exciting who kind of overtook him in the, in the popularity, I guess, despite his 1,600 and something points that he scored for the Panthers, I think. OK, so we're going to finish the show, as we always do, where you will reveal your favourite moment in watching the Nottingham Panthers. So, Ian, what is your favourite moment? My favourite moment is Kim Roos's overtime game winner against Sheffield, at Sheffield, in the second leg of the 2004 Challenge Cup final. Yeah, 
the goal at 60 minutes and 53 seconds, just 53 seconds into the overtime period. Roos scoring at the back post to end Panthers' trophy drought of six years. So, Ian, why that particular moment out of all the ones that you've witnessed while being a Panthers fan? It was the whole thing surrounding it, I think. That six years that you mentioned seemed an awfully long time. It was a different league. We were in a new arena. We'd have different coaches and heaven knows how many players come and gone. And some of those teams that we assembled were not that great. So it really felt like a, a big thing to be in with a shout of silverware again. And so to achieve that was massive. That was the first thing. The second thing was that we didn't really expect to win, I don't think, going into the two legs. And that was because it was against Sheffield. Mm. Every big game they seem to have always beaten us. Of course, that was the first time that Panthers had actually triumphed over Sheffield in a cup final. And to do it in their backyard was pretty special as well. It was. It was something that, um, you know, one of their main sticks that they used to beat us with um, was that they beat us and on some occasions humiliated us on those kind of occasions. So to go there and get the win, and even when Sheffield came back into it and took it to overtime and we all thought, oh, here we go again, it's going to turn out exactly the same way as all those other times. So for us to go out there in that overtime period, and I think Sheffield touched the puck maybe once or twice in those 53 seconds, and to go out there and just take it to play to them and to, to score that goal was just unbelievable to do that in their arena to lay that ghost to rest once and for all of course I, I was I was with you that night and it was almost seemed that that play happened in slow motion yeah uh, the puck just came across and he probably didn't but it seemed that Alrus had an age to put that away it did look like it yeah he I mean, OT, there's probably a bit more space there, but, you know, it was a great pass. He was in the right spot and he really just picked his spot. He finished it nicely. And then, just like what I talked about with the win at the NEC all those years before, he seemed to have like a second where he didn't quite believe what he'd just done and then saw his teammates all racing towards him. And then I kind of think it hit our roofs of actually the magnitude of what that goal meant. A question I'll ask you because it was then three seasons before Panthers won another trophy, which was the playoff in 2007. But do you feel that that 2004 win was a catalyst for the success that was to follow for the next 10, 15 years? That's a tough question because so much of the playing and coaching stuff changed and cycled again by the... But I think in terms of the team being a contender, a team that could go out there and win trophies, they could go to Sheffield as a club, not specific players, but as a club. It was a club with that winning attitude who could go to Sheffield in a second leg and win in overtime to bring the trophy back. Um, So I think in those terms, yes, it it set a little bit of groundwork for us to go on and, and become a leading team over the following years. Well, Ian, that brings us to the end of your top line. Uh, I just want to say many, many thanks for joining us uh, and thanks for revealing your top line to us. Thank you very much, Jono. It's been a pleasure. enjoyed it very much. And thank you very much to you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another My Top Line. But until then, thanks very much and goodbye. <laughs>